If you knew this one thing, just this one thing, it could transform you forever. Just this one thing. For the drunk, it might be sobriety. For the the housewife or the stay-at-home mother, it's rest, right? Uh, Perhaps for a fledgling church plant, it's a place to go worship in the morning. So we're not here in the afternoon trying to balance meals when you hear the alarm going off or someone's pizza that's burning. Yes. But as we see in our text today in Ephesians chapter 4, if you want to turn there, Paul makes it clear... What, the thing that transforms, friends, it's the gospel. That's what transforms us. This being taught in Christ, it's the gospel alone that's going to bring about this transformation. And it's the transformation, as we're going to see, from the dehumanizing nature of sin to putting on the new self and being created in the likeness, in the image of God. So with that, let's go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. We're going to be looking at verses 17 through 24. Ephesians 4, 17 through 24. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous and have given themselves over to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard of Him and have and were taught in Him, as truth is in Jesus, to put on... To put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Let us pray. Father, we we come to You as a church and we have nothing but You. We, We want to know You through Your Word, God, and that's why we gather. So could You bless us during this time? Could You be with us and grant us peace and let us see what it is to take off the old self and to put on the new self? God, could You... Reveal to us what you would have us know in your word during this time. We have nothing, we have nothing but you. So we come to you and we ask that you would bless us. Amen. So the main idea that we're, that we're going to work under here is that the gospel, This Paul puts it as being uh, taught the teachings of Christ. They expose the true uh, debasement, the, the, the sordidness, the dehumanizing nature of sin. That's what the gospel exposes. But it also it doesn't just expose that sin, it conforms us into the image of God. 
So two parts is it, you probably noticed it as we we're reading this verse 17 through through 19 we have the natural man. So Paul's commending them commanding them to no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futilities of their mind and then he kind of describes what does that mean? What does that look like? They're darkened in their understanding, they're alienated from God. And then they have also given themselves over to sensuality. So that's the first part. That's what we're going to look at first. Second part, moving down. Paul transitions. But that is not the way you learn to Christ. We're moving from our sin, turning to Christ. This is going to be the second part of where we're going. This part of, of, of hearing Him and being taught in Christ. It's, Paul makes it clear what the teachings, what the three things that are being taught. He uses these infinitives to make it clear. First one is to put off the old self. Number two, to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And then finally, to put on the new self. So that's kind of where we're going. Just give you a heads up. First part, verses 17 through 19, the natural man. What does that look like? The rest of it, 20 through 24, the enlightened man. What does it look like to have minds that, that are renewed in Christ. So the first part, the natural man. Let's just reread these verses again, 17 through 19. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality. And what does that look like? They are greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So in the futility of their minds. It's, it's this, what Paul is, is saying. It's one of the primary ways that man was created in the image of God. Is that no, we're not only relational, but we're also rational. It's, it's a wonderful Wonderful way that God has made us in His image. Even in our fallen state, you see this. It can't help but to come out. We build these beautiful, beautiful buildings. We build bridges. We, we research medicine to, to combat the effects of the fall. And we, we publish books that thousands of books have been published over time. Plumbing the depths of the love and the character of God. So this, this fact that we're rational comes out even though we are marred by sin. But it's also one of the places that the fall has had its greatest effects. Formerly, Adam and Eve, they knew what was good. But after the fall, they had knowledge of good and evil. So the effects of the fall take place in a, in a grand way, in the way that we mirror the image of God and the fact that we're rational and that we're able to think. So here we are, thousands of years later, after the fall. Paul is referencing the natural man, and how does he refer to it as the ones who are having vanity or without purpose in their mind? They're walking in the futility of their minds. So how does this manifest itself? We already we talked about it three ways. One, they're darkened. Number two, alienated from the life of God. Number three, they have given themselves over to sensuality. So they are darkened in their understanding versus... We see that in verse 18. Paul, uh, he has, talks about the same thing in Romans. Romans chapter 3, what he says, No one is righteous, no, not one. No one seeks God. No, no one has understanding. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. 
not even one. Unfortunately, the common reaction for Christians, when we see people who are walking as the Gentiles do in the darkness, and in the darkness of their minds, they have this cloud over the way they're living, with the common reaction for us is that we shun them. The drug users, or the homosexuals, or the murderers, we don't want anything to do with them as a church. We're pridefully appalled at their conduct. Then we're surprised why they don't come to church, right? But this, friends, this is why we don't throw them aside. This is why we don't let them die in their own sin. It's because they're darkened. Yes, they're responsible, but they're doing all that they know how to do. They're darkened in their minds. So as Christians, we see even on Christians, of course they're going to act in a way that we think is foolish. That's all they know. And it's all that you knew, too before Christ. That's why we're pridefully appalled at their conduct. We, we wouldn't see a blind man and belittle him or shun him because he didn't know the way, because he didn't see the light. Yet those who are spiritually blind, we expect them to, to see the light and to live in a way that has not yet been granted to them by the grace of God. So we see that they are darkened. But the, the progression goes on. Not only are they darkened in their understanding, they're alienated from the life of God because of the, the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. Now, it's, we have a little, little progression here. It's one thing to be darkened and to, to walk, and you guys are talking in First John, to walk in the darkness and do, do not know where you are going because the darkness has blinded your eyes. That's one thing. But it's even worse to be alienated from the life of God. Go back to the garden. They, they are darkened and they, they sin. They have knowledge of good and evil, where formerly they only knew good. And then, how does it progress? They flee from God. They're, they alienate themselves from God, and we've been in the same state ever since. But, friends, the progression, it gets even worse. Not only are they darkened, they're alienated, but now you see the effects of the fall. They've given themselves up to sensuality. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality. How does that look? Greedy. Greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Sexual sin. Sexual sin is always the highest rebellion against God. 1 Corinthians 6. Sexual sin is always the highest rebellion against God. So if you want to be defiant, if you want to stand rebellion in the face of God, it's going to manifest itself in a sexual manner. Because everything about who God is, about His bride, and what He has done to redeem His bride, is being blasphemed. So an affair, your spouse is not just an affair. Premarital sex is not just premarital sex. It is blasphemy. It is blasphemy. 
Because you are declaring there is not just one God, there is not just one bride, but no, 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 there are multiple gods, or there are multiple brides. That is why sexual sin is so devastating. And it's, this is the treachery of giving yourselves over to sensuality. So as church, as you, individually, what do you do? Examine your hearts. Daily. Hourly sometimes. Every conversation. Examine your hearts. There you have just, just a little bit of anger. Just a little bit of lust, a lingering thought. Or a flirtatious conversation with their coworker. Not a big deal, right? Not a big deal? No. Friends, it is a hell of a big deal. Literally. And as Christians, we've been redeemed, right? We're chosen. So we, we think we're immune to all of this. Because rightly, we focus on what Christ has done. But forgetting this aspect of it, we carry on, and as Paul says, our hearts become callous. We were once zealous for the things of God, longing for the things of God, and our hearts were soft. But, little by little, one small sin at a time, one instance when you, you didn't forgive, or another one when you looked perhaps too long, one thought that was not taken captive. And it goes on. And you think, you think you're enjoying it and, and that there won't be any consequences. It's a victimless crime, right? Mostly it just takes place in your mind. And then Satan laughs as your heart becomes numb. Numb. You're, you're no longer caring about sin, but... You're also no longer caring about the things of God. You used to long to spend time in the Word of God. You used to wake up just to spend time with God, but now it's perhaps not such a big deal. Things that used to make us blush, we now laugh at. And things that we now laugh at, we will be greedy to do them, as Paul says. And before you know it, you have given yourself over and you are greedy to practice all of these things that you used to find appalling. And how does it happen? How does all of this happen? How do you go from being darkened to being greedy, desiring not God, not the things of God, but desiring to carry out sin? How does it happen? Just one sin at a time. That's it. That's how dangerous it is. Just one at a time. And before you know it, your, your heart and your, your soul, it's, it's dead. And that's the dehumanizing part of sin where I said it was dehumanizing earlier. We are made in the image of God. But when we carry out sin, we are not imaging God, we are imaging Satan. It's dehumanizing of who you are and who God has created you to be. Just one sinner at a time. Just one lingering thought that wasn't taken captive. 
So, over this next week, uh, what do you do? I, I don't know your, your sin of, of choice. Well, for some of you, I do, right? But I, I don't know if it's anger, or lust, or pornography, or bitterness that's in your heart, and you can't unroot it. First thing, you see this progression of sin from darkness to being alienated to being greedy to carry out this, these sensual acts. Take this sin and say, where is this going to take me? What is my life going to look like? Am I going to be a bitter, angry old man? Am I going to be the wife who's left her husband because of the flirtatious conversations were no longer exciting enough? Where is this sin going to take me? And then, what do you do, friends? You crucify it. You attack it. And you don't give in. So over this next week, just take drastic measures to conquer your sin. Maybe you have to avoid people at work or don't go on the internet. Whatever it might be. Or humble yourself and ask for forgiveness. Or pray to God that He will soften your heart against bitterness. And when you fail, get up and keep trying and keep working. For we know that He who has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Christ. That's our joy. So we struggle with sin and we wrestle with it, but we ultimately know Christ has done it. Christ has accomplished this great work. So we've seen the, the dehumanizing Effects of sin. How it carries you on. And you're, you're imaging the, the, the Satan instead of being cast in the image of God. But now we're going to see, friends, what the Gospel does. This amazing thing that the Gospel does to the debased mind that is corrupted by sin. Let's go back to the text. Verse 20. Ephesians 4, if you want to look there. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him, as truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in the true and true righteousness and holiness. So this is the intersection of not only the saving gospel, but of the transforming gospel into our corrupt and debased minds that have been marred by sin. So we, Paul says, you put off the old self. We, we covered that quite extensively. What does that look like? Fight sin. But in contrast to that, you have this part about being renewed by the spirit of your minds and then also putting on the new self. So to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and you see in verse 23 there. Again, notice the interplay that Paul has here between the heart and the mind. It's in our sin that we are in a state of ignorance because of the hardness of our hearts. But as we are transformed more and more into the likeness of God, your minds will be also transformed as well. So a renewing of your minds is the means by which God will transform who you are. You see it in Romans 12. To be transformed by the renewing of your minds. And this is drastically different 
than anything you'll read outside of the Christ in the Bible. What does the world tell you? Do good things on the outside. You'll change who you are on the inside. It's also in contrast to Eastern religion that says, find the state of nirvana, just empty your mind. Become nothing. No, no, no. Christ says, soak yourself. Swim in the Word of God. Renew your mind by the grace of God. Of filling your mind with the things of God because God is the God of truth. Amen. So we have this part of putting off the old self, which we talked about. Being renewed in the spirit of your minds. And the, first, the third thing that we're being taught is to put on the new self. And finally, we see here that the transformation is brought to completion. We have, you have taken yourself off. You've been renewed in the spirit of your minds. And we put on our new self, being created in the likeness of God. And this is, go back to the garden again, this is a complete restoration of what was lost in the garden. Genesis 1, it says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And Paul, in uh, Colossians, Paul is also addressing this same thing in Colossians 3, in verse 9 to 10, verse 9 to 10 he says, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So friends, you see that the work that God is doing in you is far greater than you could have ever imagined. The work that God is doing in your hearts and in your mind is far greater than you could have ever imagined. Because He loves Himself supremely. He loves Himself. What's the most gracious thing He can do to you? Make you into His image. That's the love of God. He loves Himself chiefly. He doesn't love you as much as He loves Him. I'm I'm sorry. But He loves Himself. And so how does He love you? He makes you into His image. You were created in the image of God. And our nature became corrupted when Adam fell. And we inherited this nature. But friends, Christ has put on the new self. And this redemption is being completed that we are being made into the image of God. That is the restoration of sin. It's a marvelous Marvelous thing. So you see this great chasm between the life of sin and the life that is in Christ. The difference between having a mind that was darkened and then a mind that is renewed. Or this dehumanizing actions of sin that image Satan. Or being being made and created into the image of God. And so we, we talked about what to do with their sin and crucifying and attacking it. But we don't want to just run away from our sin because that is never enough. It just leads you down to the road of legalism. We want you to see your sin as a way that serves to show you even more the goodness of God. We want you to, to see the beauty of God and the wonders of the life in Christ. Because without having that out in front of you, you, you can't. 
you're going to wrestle with your sin, which you should, but you're going to become a legalist, which is our, that's what we want in our nature, is to become legalist. But to focus on the beauty of God, of how you are being transformed into the image of God. So we see, friends, that the gospel, it exposes the true dehumanizing nature of sin. We, we think it's no big deal. It's a victimless crime. Nobody's going to know. I can enjoy it for a little bit. We carry on sin after sin after sin. We see this little progression of being darkened, and then being alienated from God, and then the cravings of sin overcome us, and we become greedy to do the things that we used to abhor. And it's the gospel that comes in and transforms that. So when we ask you, what is the thing that can transform you? What do you need? It's the gospel. Above all else, friends, it is the gospel that you need. The saving power of the gospel, the transforming power of the gospel to work in your life, my life. And as a church, it's all that we have, Right? It's all that we have. We, we become consumed with finding a building or doing this or having the right kids program. But friends, it's the gospel. And all of that is a means by which we can proclaim the gospel. And if the gospel ever becomes secondary and finding all these great things becomes primary, we will lose it all. So friends, as we bind together and as we grow into a church let the gospel be primary thing that we proclaim as a church. And the only way that happens is that the gospel is the primary thing that you proclaim in your own life. Because we can't just do it as a church and not have it done in our own lives. So over this next week, just crucify your sin, but do it in a way that you graciously proclaim the gospel and the saving work of God in your own life. Let us pray. God, you, you've, you've taken us so far. We, we, we see that we are walking in the futility of our minds, that we're, 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 we're dead in our trespasses and sins. But, but you, but, but God, you came and you made us alive together with Christ pray that as a church we would relish that and we would we would long for that even more and father that we would never be satisfied here but that we would continually focus on this day where we this transformation will be complete when we will see you face to face and behold your beauty and behold the lamb and worship you forever pray that this week you would keep us from sin in a marvelous and, and wonderful way, God, that we would be a church of, of purity and love and grace. Not so that we can say that we are, but God, just so that we can proclaim Your goodness and Your saving work in our lives.